Welcome back to Claude Conversations from Thrombos Canada. I'm David Airdrie, Executive Director. I'm Jamil Abdul Rahman, hematologist from Toronto General Hospital. We're here to provide you with updates on diagnosis and management of thrombosis, featuring interviews with authors of research publications and highlights of education programs from Thrombosis Canada. We hope that you find this program interesting and informative. In this episode, we'll be discussing a recent publication from the Annals of Internal Medicine entitled Risk for Recurrent Venous Thromboembolism in Patients with Subsegmental Pulmonary Embolism Managed Without Anticoagulation co-authored by an international team referred to as the SSPE investigators. We're joined today by two of the authors, Dr. Marc Carrier and Dr. Grégoire Legal. Dr. Marc Carrier is the head of division of hematology at the Ottawa Hospital, a professor in the Faculty of Medicine, Department of Medicine, and senior scientist in the Clinical Epidemiology Program of the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. He holds a Tier 1 Research Chair in Venous Thromboembolism and Cancer from the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa, Dr. Carrier is also president of Thrombosis Canada. And Dr. Gregor Legal, a professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Ottawa, the lead of the Thrombosis Program, Division of Hematology at Ottawa Hospital, and a senior scientist in the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, Clinical Epidemiology Program since July 2012. He was born and trained in France. His primary research interest is the diagnosis and management of venous thromboembolism. He has 425 peer-reviewed publications in general internal medicine and specialized journals. He is the current chair of INVENT, the International Network of Venous Thromboembolism Clinical Research Networks. Thank you both for participating in our podcast today. Thank you for having us. Thanks. It's, it's great to have you on board um, and uh, look forward to, to talking to you about your study. And start off by asking, why did you and your colleagues feel that there was a need for this study? <laughs> that was a long time ago, right? And, and back in the days, uh, what we started to see was an epidemics of the subsegmental PE. So something that we used not to see that often before. And all of a sudden, there's some reports saying subsegmental, isolated, multiple, more and more often. And that was concomitant with the, the, the development of newer CT technologies, multi-detector CT scanners, where instead of having a helical view around the patient, we started having machines that would have two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64 detectors, uh, improving a lot the resolution of the images, but also then enabling the visualization of vessels that we use not to see. So I guess the first reaction was, what do we do about that? Are these false positive findings? Are these true clots? And in uh, systematically reviewing the literature after a few years, we started to realize that these were becoming a very significant proportion of all the PEs that we were seeing, up to 15% with the most modern machines, raising the question as to what to do with them. At the time, we didn't have such modern techniques, or at the time we were using VQ scans, uh, we would never diagnose and we would never treat patients with subsegmental PEs. That was also, Gregoire, uh, associated, so big increase in the incidence of PE, but uh, no difference in mortality and the case fatality rate was decreasing over time. So these are indirect evidence that maybe we're starting to overdiagnose a disease. So at the time we felt, well, maybe we're starting to overdiagnose pulmonary embolism, and that's the was the premise of this study. Can you provide our listeners with a brief overview of the study and its findings? 
Well, as as Gregoire was mentioning, when we started practice, we we in using ventilation perfusion scan, we never really diagnosed or treated patients with subsegmental pulmonary embolism. But if you look at studies that have compared VQ scan to pulmonary angiography, 17% of people with non-diagnostic VQ scans or intermediate probability, low probability, will have sub some subsegmental PEs on pulmonary angiography. And in real life, what we did with these intermediate VQ scan is we did bilateral leg ultrasound on, on the day of the VQ scan. And if it's negative, we repeated them a week after. If they were negative, then we didn't really follow them over time. We ruled out venous thromboembolic disease in that population. And Clive Kieran and colleagues have shown that the risk of coming back in the next three months with uh, PE was less than 0.1%, so very, very low. So we said, well, because we didn't use, you know, we, for years we didn't really treat them, let's do the same diagnostic uh, algorithm and manage them in a similar way as an intermediate VQ scan. So patients with subsegmental PEs had bilateral leg ultrasound. If it's negative, they were left untreated and bilateral leg ultrasounds were done five, seven days. And then if again negative, then we didn't anticoagulate them and follow them for three months. And what, we, uh, what we've shown is that the risk of recurrent VTE in these patients was 3.1%, so a little bit higher than what we were expecting. Because remember, the older studies looking at VQ scan had a much lower risk of recurrent VTE and therefore is uh, hopeful for future trials than when you're going to compare risk-benefit ratio with anticoagulation. So still a relatively low risk of recurrent VT without anticoagulation, but higher than expected. So you mentioned in the study that uh, the patients with a subsegmental PE would have an ultrasound of the legs bilaterally to rule out DVT. And if that was negative, then about five, seven days later, they'd have a repeat ultrasound done. Could you tell us a bit about the importance of doing the ultrasound in these patients? And in these patients, in the study, how often did you find the, uh, I guess, the hidden DVT initially and then at that five to seven days later? Yeah, I would say very important, right? Uh, uh, obviously, if you find approximate DVTs and then there is a, no question that that patient needs anticoagulants. Uh, overall, almost 10% of our patients had a DVT diagnosed either on the day of inclusion or at the one week time point. And the ratio was two to one. So six point something percent uh, on the day of inclusion and 3.4% a week after. So definitely something important to remember. Okay, great. And then um, you mentioned a bit the risk of recurrence uh, without anticoagulation with 3.1%. Uh, there was no fatal PEs. So in the study, single arm, so we don't really have a control. You mentioned the numbers low, but how do we interpret this 3.1% without a, without a control group? How would we compare that to someone with a segmental PE treated without anticoagulation? Yeah, when we were starting, Gregoire and I were stupidly optimistic, right? <laughs> and the reason why we decided to do a, a prospective management cohort study is in our little minds, we thought the risk is going to be so low, it's going to be very similar to a negative CTPA. So that, you know, we powered this study uh, to have an upper bound of the confidence interval of less than 3%, uh, which would be the acceptable risk uh, for a diagnostic study looking at a new 
diagnostic imaging, CTPA, for example. But in real life, or have, after having a reflection, these patients still had a clot and probably their risk of recurrence, we should have estimated is higher than having a negative scan. And, and your question is well taken. So it's a relatively low risk of recurrent event during the follow-up period, but how does that compare? And we don't really have a lot of data in patients with more proximal P that didn't have any anticoagulation, but we do have data of patients with more proximal PEs that receive anticoagulation. If you look at the literature from warfarin, it's very similar to the event rates that we're describing. And if you're looking at something that is a bit more recent, like Einstein PE, for example, comparing rivaroxaban to vitamin K antagonist, the risk of recurrence is around 2% with an upper bound that is around 3%. So maybe what we should have done in retrospect is powered a study to something that is similar of the risk of recurrence of more proximal PE despite anticoagulation, but we didn't. So I think that's why we're, our, our conclusion is this is still relatively low risk, right? It's the same risk as a segmental or greater clot that is on anticoagulation, but it is higher than what we initially thought. It's higher than a negative CTPA. Okay. So to confirm, we're saying the risk of recurrence in subsegmental PE without anticoagulation is similar to the risk of recurrence in a segmental PE with anticoagulation. Is that correct? Accurate? Okay. Perfect. Okay, great. Good. Um, so the study also looked at uh, recurrent VC outcomes by patient age group and those with single or multiple uh, subsegmental PEs. Can you tell us a bit about what you found in these subgroups? Sure. Well, remember that at first, again, right, the, the single where, where we were even more questioning whether this would be true clots or, or, or just false positive tests. Um, what we found was that the risk of having a record event was indeed higher in those patients with multiple subsegmental PEs and in those with a single subsegmental PE, magnitude of risk 5.7% in the one with multiple versus 2.1 in the one with a single subsegmental PE. And that was a hazard ratio of 2.7, not reaching statistical significance. And in terms of age, the pre-specified uh, age um, subgroups that we had were less than 65 or 65 or more. And again, a difference of 1.8 in the younger patient versus 5.5 in the older patients with a hazard ratio of 3.2, again, not reaching statistical significance. Okay, great. So how should we put this together clinically? So when we see these patients with the subsegmental PE, how should we treat them? And should we treat those differently in those subgroups that you mentioned under age 65, single subsegmental PE? How, how should we approach these clinically? It's hard, right? Because uh, as you mentioned, there's no comparator and there's no comparator with anticoagulation. So for a clinician, just using that event rate of recurrent VTE without anticoagulation, you don't do the risk-benefit ratio and having to factor in the risk of bleeding uh, in your treatment decision. So I think that's the first step is, yes, the risk is low. If you have a patient that may be at very high risk of of bleeding, then maybe you don't need to lose too much sleep with conservative management and clinical surveillance. However, if you have a patient that is very low risk of bleeding and have, after having a discussion, then maybe treatment 
is desirable. And now these are, you know, event rates that we can try to guide clinicians with, but there's two randomized control trials that are addressing that. So one in Switzerland, randomizing patient with isolated or single or multiple subsegmental PEs to uh, placebo or rivaroxaban at the P and DVT dosing. So we'll have data supportive or providing us with an estimate of the risk-benefit ratio in that population. And a similar trial is ongoing in the United Kingdom as well. So soon we'll have a bit more data to help us to establish that risk-benefit. Yeah, what I would add is that at least you have numbers to give to patients, right? While we used to just say, well, we don't really know what we should do. And at least now we can provide them with a with an actual estimate that, that we can work with. Yes, that's very helpful indeed. So the study looks specifically at low-risk patients with subsegmental PE, so excluding the high-risk population with active cancer, uh, previous VTE, or requiring supplementary oxygen. Should we be more aggressive regarding anticoagulation in these higher-risk patients with SSPE? Well, certainly, at least we should remember that these were not part of this study, right? So when we quote this number or when... <laughs> Uh, we we should be mindful of that, is that if someone had a previous VT or if someone had cancer, they were not part of, uh, of the SSP study. And that was obviously out of uh, concerns that this patient might fare less well. And so we don't know, right, how, but it is likely indeed that the, the risk of recurrent VT would be even higher in that population. Okay, so probably more aggressive in those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned the study has been going on for a long time. So you've been recruiting for 10 years across 18 centers internationally. Can you tell us about some of the challenges you came across and the solutions you found in conducting the study? Yeah, it was a long journey, no doubt. And and you have to have a, um, a reflection that when we started, uh, there was no clinical practice guidelines providing clinicians with guidance on what to do with these clots. So we were a little bit in, in the left field when we proposed the study. And just to, to give you an example, like when Gregoire started the study in France, these patients with subsegmental PEs were still admitted to hospital for observation, right? All PEs were back then. So you admit a patient to hospital to then have a discussion about no treatment and then sending them home. So it was, it was certainly a challenge and we're thankful to the investigators because they were really uh, engaged in the study and took time to explain that to patients. And then without any much more additional data, in 2016, the ACCP guidelines provided some guidance on maybe treating or not treating low-risk SSPEs, and all of a sudden, things change dramatically for us. So it was initially people were reluctant in not treating them. And after the 2016 guidelines, they thought we were too conservative with our inclusion-exclusion criterias based on no additional data, which is really a reflection of what clinical practice guidelines do to clinical practice, right? Because there has been no prospective data for 10 years. Um, so afterwards, like people, the same people in France that were reluctant in participating would call Gagois and say, well, you know, this patient has cancer. I would not treat it. Can I include it in your, in your study? And then we said, well, no, because they're deemed to be at high risk. 
So these are things that you have to face when your studies are ongoing for so long as practice is changing and you need to adapt. So for example, for a while in Ottawa, we weren't seeing the SSPEs anymore because some of the radiologists thought they were not clinically important and stopped reporting them. But as Gregoire mentioned earlier, 9% of them will have some form of DVTs, so they need to be seen and assessed for that. So education ongoing is certainly something that we needed to do, and we're happy that we were able to, to, to bring it to uh, the true to finish, the finish line. Perfect. That's great work, and I admire your persistence. Ten years is a, is a long haul. Before we go, is there anything you want to add that you'd like to uh, pass on to our listeners? No, well, maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that some people see the glass half full and some see it half empty, right? So some people interpret the data saying, oh, well, sure enough, everybody should be treated. Others say, well, there is definitely still equipoise and, and room for a randomized trial. We didn't discuss that much risk of bleeding, but as we said, you know, that risk benefit balance will is not is maybe not not established yet for some patients. Yeah, I think the future will hopefully help us to figure out what's the best uh, management strategy for these for these patients. Well, thank you both for joining us today. It's uh, great to see you. And um, thank you all for listening to Clot Conversations from Thrombosis Canada. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions on the podcast. If you have any recommendations for future podcasts, please send them to us at info at thrombosiscanada.ca. Please subscribe so that you're notified about the release of new episodes. And don't forget to check out our website for education programs, clinical tools, and guides. Also, please consider donating to Thrombosis Canada to support our ongoing efforts to reduce morbidity and mortality due to thrombosis. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Bye, Thank you. everyone.